How can regular working people like us, how can we fix our broken financial system to redirect the wealth and power of big banks, traditional corporations, and the super rich to us regular working people without using politicians or regulations? This is the question we ask on the Crowd Effect podcast. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy, activist investment advisor at Stakeholder Enterprise. So on today's show, I'm going to replay an episode from my limited series podcast called Stakeholder Enterprise. If you listened to yesterday's show, then I talked about how uh, how I discovered a vehicle of change in crowd investing by the research I was doing on this limited series. So uh, the episode that I'm going to play is uh, about impact investing. And this is when I first discovered that uh, crowd investing uh, can be uh, impact investing, essentially. Now, I hadn't connected the dots, and it didn't occur to me while I was doing this specific episode that, hey, I should start my own uh, investment advisory firm. That, that didn't happen after this. Uh, I, I still didn't really understand uh, what it meant to be the change. So, uh, but this was the, the, the first step on the path that led me to understand uh, what it meant to, to be the change. So here you are, um, without further interruptions, uh, my second episode of the limited series podcast, Stakeholder Enterprise. I don't participate in the national debate anymore. Because the one thing I've never heard anyone say is, I stand corrected. The only minds we have control over changing is our own. The very best we can hope with others is to inspire them. And the most effective way to inspire is with love, authenticity, and by creating an environment where people are willing to listen to what you have to say. You're tired of all the blaming and political gridlock. If you're tired of waiting around hoping others will solve society's problems. If you're ready to take simple steps to make lasting change, you've come to the right place. Ready to be inspired? This is the Stakeholder Enterprise. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy. On this episode, we're going to introduce the market-based approach of impact investing. We're also going to examine the difference between greed and obtaining wealth, and how by obtaining wealth through impact investing, everyday retail investors can do both good for the planet and well for themselves. We're going to start things off from a speech by the character Gordon Gekko, played by Michael Douglas, in the 1987 film Wall Street. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, 
For love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. So is greed really good? Well, what is greed? It's an excessive desire. Greed is an obsession. Greed is the need to obtain regardless of the negative consequences to others, the environment, and to themselves. Greed is seductive. It lures you into the false belief that because you have money, you are somehow better, smarter, or more worthy than others. But what it really does is create a vicious cycle of never being satisfied of what you've achieved. Greed leads to anxiety and restlessness. Greed will ultimately consume you, your thoughts, your actions, and your beliefs. Former Wall Street hedge fund manager turned social entrepreneur Sam Polk said, and I quote, Folks on Wall Street are part of a system that has created some of the greatest inequality the world has ever seen, and they continue to perpetuate that. And that's the reason that I left Wall Street. It's not because there was rife criminality, and not because Wall Street is full of bad people. I just became aware of where I stood in the system, and I became aware that I did not want to do that anymore. End quote. We need to clarify something. Obtaining wealth is not greed. With greed, your goal is simply to become rich. Obtaining wealth, your goal could be to spend more time doing the things you love with the people you love. It could be to support the causes you care most about. It could be lifting up the neighborhood you grew up in. When you obtain wealth, you have a louder voice in shaping the future. Obtaining wealth has obtainable goals. Greed does not. Because you'll never know when you've reached your goal. There will always be someone richer than you, and you will always want more money. Upon analyzing data from the last 50 years, income inequality is a statistical fact. In 1968, the U.S. Census Bureau reported that working-class Americans, or 80% of all U.S. income earners, brought in 56% of all U.S. income that year. Fast forward to 2018, The working class only accounted for 48% of all U.S. income that year, dropping 12%. Data from the U.S. Census Bureau also revealed that in 1971, middle-income households accounted for 61% of the American workforce. In 2019, it dropped 10 percentage points to 51%. So what are the causes for income inequality 
and the shrinking middle class in America? Answers vary depending on ideological point of view. Both right and left-leaning think tanks manipulate data to push through policies that support their beliefs. However, both right and left-leaning think tanks can agree on another statistical fact, which is obtaining wealth through investing. According to data from the 2017 Congressional Budget Office, the top 20% of U.S. earners that year received 17% of their income from investments. The top 1%, 36%. What about the working class, the remaining 80% of U.S. earners? Just 2 to 3% of their income came from investing. When you have multiple sources of income, you have the ability to increase your wealth at an accelerated rate. Not only are you working for your money, but your money is working for you. And this is not a bad thing. As a registered investment advisor, when I ask my clients about investments, they tell me something about the stock market. When I asked them about impact investing, they had some vague idea about what it is. So let's define what exactly an impact investment is. An impact investment has the intention of generating positive, measurable, social, or environmental gains alongside a financial return. According to the Global Impact Investing Network's 2020 survey, 67% of impact investments performed at or above risk-adjusted market rate. So 67% of the time, there is no financial difference between an impact investment and a traditional one. So here are a few examples of current impact investments at the time of this recording. There's an impact investment that provides affordable workforce housing communities for individuals and families here in the United States. There's an impact investment to provide venture capital to startup social enterprises. There's an impact investment that provides needed infrastructure education, and healthcare in Africa. There's an impact investment that provides renewable energy wind farms in Mongolia. There's an impact investment that provides microfinancing services to low-income inner-city, urban, and rural areas here in the United States and around the world. Impact investments were first started by philanthropists which are people who want to promote the well-being of others and the environment through charitable means. However, if you want to invest in an impact investment, unfortunately, they're really only available to philanthropists. You have to be something called an accredited investor, meaning you either have to have a million dollars in the bank or you have to make at least $200,000 for the last two years. 
So what options do 98% of investors, the non-accredited or retail investors have when it comes to impact investing? Because there is a demand. Depending on which survey you see, anywhere from 50 to 70% of U.S. investors want to include socially responsible investments to their portfolio. Because of this demand, investment banking firms have created environmental, social, corporate governance funds, or ESG funds for short. ESG funds are comprised of corporations that have a high ESG rating and they trade like a stock. To be included in an ESG fund, a corporation must have an independent third-party performance audit of their environmental, social, and corporate governance practices, and then make the findings public. The next step is for the ESG ratings firms to give them a rating so that investment bankers can include them in their fund. At the time of this recording, current ESG funds only have traditional for-profit corporations in them. If you're a retail investor and want to include socially responsible or impact investments in your portfolio, it really isn't easy to navigate. If you search for socially responsible investments online, you're going to be directed towards the ESG funds. If you search for impact investments online, then you will be directed to the ones for accredited investors. You have to search for retail impact investments. And even then, it's still cluttered with ESG funds. At the time of this recording, retail impact investments are very difficult to find online. ESG funds, on the contrary, are quite easy, probably because investment bankers both create and manage ESG funds, the very same investment bankers that work on Wall Street. So should socially responsible or ESG investing be lumped in with impact investments? Let's examine this a bit more carefully. If I had to point to the most socially responsible traditional for-profit corporation, the one that would come to mind is the Apple Corporation. In 2020, Apple was the stock that accounted for the highest concentration within ESG funds, which is no surprise to me. The company has a high ESG rating because they've donated millions to disaster relief. They've achieved equal pay to their employees regardless of race or gender. They rank at the top of corporations with respect to using renewable energy, water conservation, waste reduction and recycling, and its carbon emissions reductions. However, that's just part of the story. Apple has a global supply chain, and all of their manufacturing takes place in China. When you have a global supply chain, you operate in countries that have standards that are far below both the United States and Europe, not to mention the environmental cost of shipping these supplies around the globe. 
The Apple Corporation is also a known tax dodger. Here's how they do it. On paper, they shift hundreds of billions of dollars of profits overseas to their Irish subsidies. But here's the thing. They just shift it on paper. The actual profits are held in the United States. They can avoid paying taxes on these amounts because the profits are considered to be under foreign control. And all of this is perfectly legal. But just because something is legal, does it make it socially responsible? Like I said, Apple is probably the most socially responsible traditional for-profit corporation out there. And the ESG fund managers would agree with me. Not only that, they provide the world with incredible technologies that enrich our daily lives. But it appears that Apple will only be socially responsible when it will increase their profits. And profitable, they are. In 2020, Apple was the most profitable publicly held corporation in the world. How is it socially responsible not to pay your fair share of taxes so it can go towards things like rebuilding our infrastructure? How is it socially responsible to have all of your manufacturing done in China and none of it in the United States? China does not need any more manufacturing positions. But the United States could use some good paying jobs. Wouldn't it be the socially responsible thing to do for Apple to reduce its global supply chain as much as possible from countries that don't have the same work standards or pay standards as the United States? Even if Apple wanted to make these changes, they couldn't. Like all traditional for-profit corporations, they are legally obligated to maximize profits for their shareholders. They have a fiduciary duty to do so. Sadly, corporate social responsibility only exists when it's profitable for them. The structure of these corporations have the unobtainable goal of always increasing their profits. It's unobtainable because there's never enough profit. They're constantly trying to increase their profits every quarter. These corporations are not inherently evil. They are simply fulfilling their purpose. Their purpose, however is inherently greedy. Investing in these companies doesn't make a person greedy. You probably have the obtainable goal of retiring or sending your kids to college. I own stocks in these corporations. I own ESG funds for the same reasons I just mentioned. I don't have a problem with making profit. I just have a problem with making profit at the expense of humanity. For this reason, I will no longer invest in traditional for-profit corporations. Because now I know where I stand in the system, and I no longer wish to be a part of it. In capitalism, where we invest our capital matters.
especially since there's another option out there. On April 5th, 2012, Regulation A Plus was signed into law and went into effect on June 19th, 2015. This made crowdfunding investments legal. For the first time ever, non-accredited retail investors were able to buy into startup companies and private funds, where in the past, those were exclusively reserved for institutional or accredited investors. Today, 20,000 people can crowdfund a $2 million investment with only $100 each. 20,000 people. These people can be nurses or gas station attendants, grocery store clerks, firefighters, teachers, waiters, or truck drivers. These crowdfunding investments may not get the stamp of approval from the philanthropic elite, being that their impact is difficult to measure. However, the chance for creating positive impact is tremendous whenever new opportunities become available to retail investors. Opportunities like crowdfunding a loan to a general contractor, someone who has worked their entire lives for other people, but now you have the opportunity to finance their first house flip. You can crowdfund a debt consolidation loan to lower someone's monthly payments. You could crowdfund a small business loan so they can hire more employees. You can crowdfund a startup company that share the same values as you. You could crowdfund and become a landlord to college students, to the working class, or to the professional class. You could crowdfund and buy office or retail buildings and then lease them to a corporate tenant. This is the first time in history where a renter who makes $30,000 a year can be a landlord to a multi-billion dollar corporation. When thousands of everyday individuals come together and pool their money into peer-to-peer crowdfunding investments, not only does it present new opportunities for the average person, but it helps narrow the income divide by generating an additional source of income for them. And this is how you, the listener, can have a positive, measurable impact on yourself. My name is Paul Lovejoy. Thanks for joining me. Stakeholder Enterprise is a limited series podcast and an activist investment advisory firm. Our mission, to create a community of financial activists and to guide them into reforming our unjust financial system by being the change they wish to see in the world, so that the generation being born today will have a market-based economy that looks out for the well-being of ourselves, each other, and our planet's finite resources. If you'd like to discover the three steps to reform our unjust financial system legally, ethically, and without confrontation, visit stakeholderenterprise.com.